1: Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. I have Ali Tavakoli. We're going to be talking about a pill that he's uh, involved in developing that may help reverse type 2 diabetes, which is huge. Uh, Ali is a minimally invasive bariatric surgeon at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Brigham and Women's Faulkner Hospital and an associate professor of surgery at Harvard Medical School. He's the co-director for the Center for Weight Management and Metabolic Surgery as well as the director of Minimally Invasive Surgery Fellowship. So Ali, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Yeah, tell me, what's the premise behind uh, this pill that could positively affect patients with diabetes?
2: Sure. Um, so as you mentioned, I'm um, a minimally invasive and bariatric surgeon. Uh, and as part of my routine practice, uh, you know, we perform... Several weight loss operations, and one of the one of these operations is the gastric bypass surgery. And what was a, a remarkable observation as we started doing more and more of these surgeries was that, as well as losing weight, many patients who were also uh, struggling with obesity but also had type two diabetes, their diabetes improved very rapidly after the operation. And Uh, You know, we have known for a very long time that if uh, someone, a diabetic patient who is overweight or obese loses weight, their diabetes gets better. So initially, the observation that these patients after weight loss surgery would experience diabetes improvement didn't seem very uh, extraordinary, except that we realized this improvement in diabetes actually occurred pretty much immediately after surgery. So we would have diabetic patients who would be on metformin, would be on multiple, in fact, anti-diabetic medications, maybe even insulin. We would do the operation and within a day or two, the diabetes would actually go away and they would go home without any anti-diabetic medication needs. So this was a really uh, a noticeable finding and uh, I um, kind of had been started to do some research to understand what's the mechanism underlying this anti-diabetic effect. That's and amazing. Uh, yeah, it's really, really a remarkable observation. Uh, and you know, I'm, I come from a family where we've um, have many people, including both my parents who struggle with diabetes and I've seen the disease in various forms and severities. So this was a particularly a personal um, uh,
1: issue for me, to be honest. Um, well, what time, so as, to compare quickly though, what, what happens in a gastric bypass surgery? Can you talk about physiologically what is done and does the patient experience? Yeah, absolutely. So,
2: um, you know, gastric bypass surgery, the way we do it nowadays, it's done as a laparoscopic or minimally evasive operation. Um, what we do in the operation is that we start by stapling the stomach and create a small new stomach, which is roughly about the size of an egg. We then um, cut the intestine below the stomach and bring a loop of the intestine up and connect it to the new stomach that we have created. And as an end result of surgery, what happens is when patients eat, Food travels through the esophagus, enters this new small stomach, and then from there is drained directly into the proximal intestine. And as a result of this anatomical configuration reconfiguration, the majority of the stomach and the first part of the small bowel doesn't see food anymore. So that part of the bowel is isolated from nutrient flow. Um, so
1: and um, what um. Have have people observed and gone back in, you know, done either MRI, you know, CAT scan or gone back in for good or bad reason to see what happens to the body once the stomach has been isolated like this?
2: yeah so the stomach actually yeah, and we've, uh, we've uh, many and uh, many of us have done this as well, is that the stomach looks actually remarkably unchanged exteriorly, so from the outside surface, when you reoperate, the stomach looks the same. so there's no uh, uh, kind of macroscopic change the way the stomach looks microscopically. so if you actually harvest the stomach or the intestine, there may be some subtle histological changes, but really nothing very and okay. active. It still produces acid. Um, the the, the, remain, the first part of the intestine that's isolated from nutrient flow, it still has pancreatic and biliary secretions going into it. Um, and those secretions, the acid, the bile, the pancreatic secretions, travels this through this segment of the intestine that now doesn't see food and is drain And then meets the food that's coming through the remaining part of the intestine and their new stomach to help with digestion further down in the stomach.
1: How much of the intestine is uh, sectioned off and why section off any of it? Why not make the stomach smaller but keep as much of the intestine as possible? Does, does the surgery attempt to take as little of the proximal bowel of the intestine out of the loop, literally? And it, yeah. Is it still so, safe again, to I'm do like, it this way?
2: Um, the surgery itself, you mean?
1: Yeah, like, l- l- why is is some of the uh, proximal bowel, the you know, the intestine kept it's, out of the loop, literally?
2: Uh, so the the reason that part of the stomach is part of the stomach and proximal bowel is isolated from. Low uh, as a result of gastric bypass surgery is really um, initially was a, a surgical and technical issue because once you had created this small gastric pouch, which was thought to be the driver of the weight loss, once you created that pouch, you somehow had to drain it. And from an anatomical and technical perspective, it was much easier to bring a loop of small bowel up and attach it to it. And the fact that the remainder of the stomach and the proximal bowel was isolated from, a fl- uh, from nutrient flow, I would say initially regarded as a consequence of that operation, not necessarily the primary factor that people were trying to achieve. You have to realize that gastric bypass was initially introduced in the 1960s. And at that time, obviously, our understanding of the physiology of the stomach and the bowel was much um, uh, more limited as well.
1: But it as, works,
2: yeah, it is honestly remarkable. Well, I think, you know, the surgery was really developed, um, and I hate to say it, but under uh, misconceptions that we now know are are incorrect, but at the time, it made a lot of sense. So what, patient, what um, uh, surgeons and clinicians were thinking of is that if someone is struggling with obesity, they obviously are eating too much, so they came up with this opera. They came up with two categories of surgeries. One category they call restrictive operations, and essentially the goal there was shrink the size of their stomach by stapling it and partitioning it, so that people eat less and that would lead to weight loss. And then they also came up with another group of operations called malabsorptive, and the, the idea there was well, it doesn't matter what you. They're gonna just uh, um, isolate and bypass a segment of the intestine so you don't absorb all the food that you're eating. And then there was one surgery that has had a component of both. It was a restrictive operation and was thought to have a malabsorptive, was thought to be a malabsorptive operation as well. And that was the gastric bypass, because it involved creating a small pouch. And it also involved bypassing the first part of the intestine. So people in in the era when this surgery was thought, okay, this could be a good operation because it had a restrictive and uh, malabsorptive element. And in fact, the surgery is very effective for weight loss. It's an excellent operation for weight loss. But what we have learned over the last four years is that. The concept of restrictive or malabsorptive are actually incorrect, and what I mean by that is that when you take a patient with gastric bypass and you actually study the food they eat, stool they pass, there is actually no malabsorption of calories or nutrients or macronutrients uh, in these patients. And then when people also think about the uh, concept of restriction. Although people are eating less, it's not because they are physically restricted from eat, putting more food into their stomach. It's actually just because they feel much, much less hungry. And you take so a gastric biopsy. Uh,
1: yeah, what, what does this suggest to you? Is this the gut bacteria that has changed, and that's the mechanism that, that causes so, all these changes, or what? Yeah, you know, I mean. It,
2: yeah, the microbiome is definitely changing. So what actually is the true mechanism behind the weight loss effects and the most the subsequent anti-diabetic effects of the surgery that have been described um, has been under extensive investigations over the last 10 or 15 years. And I mentioned my lab itself has been working on this a lot. Um, and there are lots of there's no doubt that there's a lot of changes that occurs after surgery which may contribute to the weight loss effect. So there are changes in microbiome, there are changes in bile salts, there are changes in how the intestine itself behaves. so the how the in the surgery metabolizes nutrients is different than how it did before surgery. but the one also, important finding that came out of from all the studies, all the mechanistic studies we are just mentioned, is that the fact that as a result of surgery, the proximal bowel not sees nutrient, from nutrient exposure, seems to be a seems to be a critical uh, in terms of its anti-diabetic effect. And so, over the last ten years, several people started working. Okay, so how can we mimic the effects of surgery without actually doing surgery? So how can we, you know, um, essentially pr- uh, cover the proximal bowel such that it doesn't see food or there's no contact with food there, and to see if that replicates the anti-diabetic effects of the operation?
1: Um, and there have been devices. The, uh... So, is the goal to somehow coat the stomach of parts of it or coat the proximal bowel?
2: Well, probably both. So, what we've done uh, has been with Lucy is to uh, look maybe pro- really the main focus is to cover the proximal bowel, so the duodenum and the first part of the jejunum, and prevent n- nutrient exposure in that area.
1: The question going back to the uh, bypass surgery this is the last one I'll ask you because I know we want to focus on the pill. When sure. when a, um, the stomach is stapled and then connected to a loop of the proximal bowel, are you mm-hmm. creating or recreating an exit sphincter for the stomach or how would the, the stomach contents be kept there and resident for a period of time and then moved on to the so
2: It stem? doesn't. So that's, and that's an excellent question, excellent question. So you're right because in a normal stomach, At the end of the stomach, we have the pylorus, which acts essentially as a muscle and controls release of food from the stomach into the small bowel. After a gastric bypass surgery, you no longer have that sphincter. So uh, food from the gastric pouch, uh, from this new stomach we have created, drains into the small bowel directly. So there's no control of that. Yeah, I was surprised that that would
1: work, and I wonder if the proximal bowel would i mean i I highly doubt it develops its own sphincter, but I would guess the you know your stomach when full and your stomach when empty may act very differently without an exit sphincter because now you're depending upon the i guess the new weight and distension of the stomach to restrict the flow of food to the intestine yeah. i don't know if it's restricted yeah. I mean who knows
2: yeah so i think um and I think that's a, a good point I think the fact that you don't have that thing that leads to a separate set of issues with, that we see in patients with gas bypass and that's really a side effect of operation. And that is because the food can go directly from the gastric pouch into the small intestine very quickly and there's no kind of a control mechanism there. Sometimes patients develop what we call dumping syndrome, which is a side effect of surgery. Um, um, but that that's, that's, um, the mechanism behind that is really as uh, a consequence of surgery, and it's a side effect of operation rather than a desired effect. Yes,
1: yeah, so this makes sense what you're working on because it would be much better to keep all the you know the physiology there, but just selectively I guess coat sections so that they yeah. act differently and process differently, right?
2: yeah exactly, and I think you know this is you know when you step back and look at the gastric bypass surgery and its anti diabetic effects, so you know I mentioned the anti diabetic effects are really strong. many patients within a few days of operation are home without any diabetic medications, and the hemoglobin a one c and all parameters starts to normalize been about or there have been over eleven randomized studies that have compared gastric bypass and bariatric operations to the best medical treatment for management of diabetes. And all of them have shown that gastric bypass and bariatric surgery are superior to best medical treatment in terms of managing diabetes. So there's really an overwhelming amount of evidence that in an obese type two diabetic, this could be the best treatment. And many uh, you know, US and international diabetic societies have now incorporated weight loss medications in the treatment algorithms for type two diabetes. So it's actually there and uh, stated. The issue though, is that about only one to 2% of patients who qualify for surgery actually ultimately end up having the operation, which is the real yeah. paradox you have. Yeah, because it's a really paradox. You have this chronic disabling disease you have a procedure that's known to be very effective for its management, yet not many people have it. And 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 to be honest, the reason people don't have it is probably multifactorial. So, you know, part of it is access to care, part of it is health insurance. But a bit is that also, you know, maybe other providers, you know, the PDPs and endocrinologists, are reluctant to refer patients to a major operation because of, you know, surgical risks. And, and also other parts is because just patients don't want to have a surgery which has some side effects as just talked about um, and, you know, leads to essentially permanent change in GI anatomy. And, and that because of that, I think we've been really excited about this concept of Lucy because I think by replicating the maybe the physiological changes that have to occur after gastric bypass and hopefully replicating its powerful anti diabetic effects without actually doing an inventive operation, a lot more of the type of diabetic patients would be able to benefit from the um, anti diabetic effects of a gastric bypass surgery. So essentially, have a surgery in a pill.
1: So all right. So what's the uh, how does the pill work? What does it do, and what's the method of action?
2: Sure. So um, the the oh the kind of concept here is that we provide a transient coating of the proximal bowel that such that when patients are eating the food, although it goes through the bowel. The mucosa and the lining of the valve doesn't see the food. So, for all intents and purposes, it, it, it feels isolated from nutrient exposure. And uh, the, so, the concept essentially replicates what we see with the gastric bypass. We wanted this coating to be transient. Uh, and the reason for that is that gastric bypass patients, we often see uh, high in- um, vitamin deficiencies. Because the part of the intestine that is isolated from nutrient flow is actually very important for absorbing some vitamins, such as some vitamins and minerals and other micronutrients. So, in specific, specifically, iron and you know B12 and vitamin D and calcium. So, we wanted out barrier transient so that patients can take their multivitamin or other supplements at a separate time and minimize the risk of developing any micronutrient deficiencies. So when we started to explore potential material uh, to help us create this, we, um, we de- kind of developed um, uh, an ex- in vitro model, uh, and the details of this are uh, you know, all in a paper that we had published in Nature Material uh, about a year ago. But when we tested many, many, many materials in this um, in vitro chamber we had created, we came across uh, sucrophate as a potential material that is very good barrier to glucose and uh, glucose absorption, but it's also very durable. And sucrophate was a particularly interesting option because it's a drug that has been available and FDA approved for over 30 years. And patients use it for treatment of um, uh, gastric and duodenal ulcers. And what sucrophate does is actually when you ingest it, it it gets activated by the acid in the stomach, forms essentially kind of a paste-like material that sticks to ulcerated mucosa and allows it to heal. And so we said, well, maybe we can give sucrophate to a diabetic animal and see if sucrophate actually makes them, um, um, their diabetes better. And when we tried that, it actually was not effective. And the reason it wasn't effective was that the, the, the sucrophate wasn't able to adhere very well to healthy intestinal mucosa. So that uh, started the seven, eight-year collaboration with Jeff Cobb, my collaborator has been involved with this project from the beginning, to see think, think how we could modify sucrophate and, um, and create a ver- ver- version of it that essentially is capable of adhering to healthy mucosa. Uh, And the other quality we were interested in, we wanted um, the we wanted loose uh, we wanted the new material to be pH independent. So what I mean, not depend on the gastric pH to be activated. And this ultimately led to creation of a new um, uh, formulation we called Lucy, which stands for luminal coating of intestine. Uh, And what we've shown is that Lucy is capable of actually forming a um, you know after you take it it uh, in a ph independent fashion it's able to get hydrated in the stomach it forms a paste which instantly forms a uniform coating on the uh, on the proximal bowel and uh, oh, again um,
1: um it- you, you do know that it's the proximal bowel and not the stomach, or could it be both the stomach yeah. and the proximal
2: yeah, it's bowel? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. It's actually, so we, we've done some CT imaging in the rodents who have had Lucy, and we get a little bit of coding in the distal stomach and also some coding in the proximal, uh, small bowel. So we get, you're right, we get a little bit of both. Uh, the, and that's, I think, good, Um, um uh, and uh, we we believe that most of the antidotic effects um, probably uh, drive from that isolation.
1: Um, Do, and that chance that um, it might build up around the exit, you know, the pylori, the pylorus in the stomach and uh, prevent it from closing properly or you know, get oh, dumped yeah, up uh, in the uh, sphincter?
2: Yeah, so good thought. Yeah, no, I mean, the paste is not um, uh, that thick, to, uh, I believe, to cause an obstruction, to be honest. And also, we have done now chronic experiments in rodents where they had Lucy once or twice a day for about five or six weeks, and there was no, uh, no suggestion of that.
1: So do you, do you, um, have you seen experimentally that it, um, it's blocking certain – I mean, it can't block everything but I guess it's blocking certain nutrients, right? Is there a profile of what it blocks and why?
2: Yeah, so I think, um, so I what I would say is that in the proximal bowel where this le- coating is created, it probably reduces or blocks nutrient absorption in that segment of the intestine um, uh, very well. However, when, similar to the gastric bypass, but just isolating Uh, absorption in that area, it doesn't mean that we're going to cause a nutrient malabsorption. So what I mean by that is that let's say um, proteins or sugars or whatever that are going through the intestine, if they don't get absorbed in part isolated, they will probably get absorbed in the more distal segments of the bowel. And what happened as a result of this is that the because the topography and the timing of nutrient absorbers has changed, that leads to neurohormonal changes, which are good for treatment of diabetes. So, uh, as as an example for that, for example, is that let's say glucose is if the proximal bowel is coated and it's not the glucose is is not absorbed, that glucose absorption occurs in the more distal bowel. And that that because of its pattern and change in absorption pattern leads to changes in secretion of some hormones. An example of that is a hormone called GLP one, which is a very potent anti diabetic hormone. And we've seen that in our rodent models is that after uh, you know uh, after administering loosening, you do see changes in these uh, beneficial uh, anti diabetic hormones as well.
1: If you if you consider the lack of absorption as a I guess reduction in residence time or transit time through the body in effect how much less time is a given bolus of food going through the body the body's I guess not I'm assuming the body's not quote-unquote seeing it for a period of time and it's seeing it only later on in the process so it's essentially seeing it for less time I don't know if that's a good way to look at it.
2: Yeah no I uh, yes um, so uh, maybe two ways to answer that so I think um I um we haven't necessarily and obviously we we'll need to continue to study this but we haven't seen uh, obvious changes in intestinal transit so what I mean is that it doesn't appear like the bowel is pushing the uh, material through faster. So I don't think intestinal transit has changed. Um, however, it, what, because let's say the proximal bowel is not seeing the food, is not seeing the food, and the the food is delivered more distally, uh, I guess uh, you're, there may be the argument that there's less surface area or less. I think time may be less of a factor because it, it goes through pretty quickly anyway, but there may be maybe less surface area of the bowel to absorb the food. And and I would say that in the, in the case of the small intestine, there's such a redundancy of the mucosal surface area for nutrient absorption that I think that per se is probably not an issue. I don't know if I answered your I question appropriately. Yeah, no,
1: I, I, I got you. Um, so is the coating preferentially uh, blocking of glucose or is it can it be tailored and tweaked to block or you know coat against uh, certain macronutrients versus others?
2: Yeah, so uh, wonderful question and I think that's what we're going to continue to do certainly lucy and um, there are there are ways for us to address viscosity and the thickness of lucy and affect its duration and um, um, you know the barrier qualities. Uh, I think the work we have done so far has really been mostly focused on glucose um, changes, uh, but that could be a future direction. Looking at other macronutrients as well. Our focus has really been on mostly on um, glucose and its effect on diabetes.
1: Yeah. So okay. Um, so in rodents, uh, this has had a, a pretty dramatic effect on uh, you know rodents with diabetes or so their Glucose absorption. Like, what are Mm -hmm. some of the parameters you've evaluated, and what has changed with use of the pill?
2: Yeah. So, um, as I mentioned, we have looked um, uh, at changes oral glucose tolerances after administration of Lucy setting. Uh, and we've seen a significant reduction as, a, as a, uh, you, know, you know, about a 47.3% reduction in incremental area under the curve in oral glucose as before and, uh, versus after Lucy administration, which is very impressive. And we have also started to do some chronic experiments where we have given lucid to animals like four five six weeks. Um, and part of that was we wanted to make sure there's no evidence of toxicity on Lucy. So we wanted to make sure the animal doesn't develop any overt diarrhea or when we and um, we've actually taken the intestine and analyzed the intestine and there's no evidence of damage to the intestinal lining or anything after the um, uh, surgery so that's great and in these chronic experiments we have also um, started to see some weight difference between the animals so the the lucy treated animals um, have lost around 7 to 10% weight with, with lucian as well and um, and we're also showing that after Lucy administration for several weeks, in a model, in a kind of an insulin-resistant animal model, we're seeing a reduction in degree of insulin resistance and um, a decrease in fasting glucose. And also, we are seeing some uh, changes in some of the beneficial hormones that are um, uh, that are, uh, you know, uh, related to diabetes. So we see an increase in GLP-1 levels as I mentioned before.
1: So how long does it take after, you know, you ingest the pill for it to work and how long does it appear to last?
2: So, um, you know, the experiments we've done, uh, usually we give the Lucy before oral glucose tolerance test. we um, And usually we give it about an hour or so before. Uh, I suspect Lucy can be effective even if given um, uh, uh, closer to the oral glucose test or food ingestion, and then the effect lasts for about three hours. And after that starts to kind of wean off and tailor off. And by usually twenty by twenty uh, four hours, we, we we see no residual effects. Most of it
1: is gone at that point. Okay, so this would be, I guess, taken before meals. Is that the,
2: uh, the yeah might- again exactly that you take it uh, before meals and. You know, potentially maybe even just uh, twice a day. Um, and that, you know, provokes the barrier during the time of the day when most people have to uh, uh, take food.
1: And then, uh, has anyone looked at the uh, feces of people before and after they've had bariatric surgery? And also, you know, in your animal models, have you looked at the feces of the the rodents um, before and after they've taken these, these pills to see how it affects yeah.
2: them? So that's excellent. And in terms of the animal models and Lucy, that's actually an area of uh, studies we are, we're currently doing and uh, we're very much interested in that. So, and uh, we're, uh, we're looking to see, look at the amount of stool output and also consistency and also to see um, um, uh, uh, if there are changes in nutrient contents in the stool. And, you know, a lot of people nowadays are interested in microbiome changes after uh, various drug and we're interested in the effects of Lucy on that, and that'd be a future direction as well. Uh, in terms of human studies in gastric bypass, so there is, um, people have done that. So in uh, human models of gastric bypass, there, as I mentioned before, there's no evidence. Uh, so there, there's no evidence that gastric bypass, a standard gastric bypass causes any diarrhea or evidence of macronutrient absorption. Uh, there is definitely microbiome changes and whether that's, a, uh, whether that's the primary driver of the effect of surgery is still in a big question. It probably isn't the primary driver, to be honest, but just a side effect of surgery. Uh, but those are areas that are under evaluation.
1: You know, one company I spoke to a long time ago, they thought that entrained air now made it into the intestine, the small intestine, because of the lack of sthincter and, you know, the smaller mm-hmm. stomach size and everything. Has it ever been a factor on your guys' radar that that could change the, again, the microbiome from anaerobic to more aerobic?
2: Uh, yeah, no, I've um, I've heard some of the uh, that work before as well. So I think I mean it's um, it's an interesting theory, and uh, I don't know all the data uh, uh, for it. To be honest with you, but um, it's an interesting. Thing. I would say, um, uh, you know, in terms of what we're focused on, which is the anti Effects of surgery is that you know the important point is that we see this antidiatic effects very quickly after surgery, like literally within a few hours. so I suspect there is uh, maybe multiple complicated mechanisms involved with this and and uh, It may not be just a change in microbiome, although that may occur uh, that that are driving this. You know, because it would be too quick to see these microbiome changes within a few hours after surgery. To be honest,
1: yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, it's a complicated but fascinating thing you're working on. Um, what's Thank the you. schedule ahead for the clinical trials? Like, what's what's the path ahead? And how long?
2: Yeah, so so after you, we incorporated and uh, formed. A, startup up around this idea of uh, Lucy. The uh, startup is called Altrex Bio. Our CEO is Nancy uh, Briefs uh, and uh, we've been, um, you know, around for about uh, I don't know, eight nine months now, uh, and we have started um, uh, essentially working with uh, uh, with a manufacturing process to make sure we can create the capsules uh, for our first in man studies. We have had some. Uh, initial informal discussions with FDA, and our goal is that once we have the manufacturing process uh, confirmed, to have our uh, first uh, official meeting with the FDA um, to review our trial designs, hopefully get their approval, and then hopefully by uh, the, m- towards the end of middle to end of next year um, uh, do our first in-man studies. So we're very excited about it and um, uh, looking forward to that.
1: So, how long do you would you guess that it may take for this to become uh, commercially available or available, you know, through your doctor?
2: Yeah. So, you know, I think drug development pathways are usually long and complicated. Uh, But I think we have a few things going for us, which uh, I think would suggest this is going to be – we we may have a shortened time. Uh, So one of them is that because Lucy is based on an already approved drug, uh, namely sucrophate, which has been around for a while, um, and because Lucy doesn't have any systemic absorption, it really just works on the gut by creating the uh, coding, there is no systemic absorption of the material. Um, we're hoping to go down a 505.2B um, approval pathway with FDA. Uh, we've had several discussions with consultants who um, feel that uh, that uh, should be a doable path. And um, uh, and I think if uh, that all goes well, the time to be. Um, You know, have completing our phase one and maybe uh, go to a phase two uh, and have some positive data for the next steps would be potentially, uh, you know, three to five years.
1: Okay, that's not terrible, yeah. Well, excellent. Um, Any any last points that, I mean, I know there's endless things to ask, but anything else you want to put forward about it uh, that's important for people to know? Uh,
2: No, I think um, really just the idea that. um, you know, I, I I think the key messages for for me and what has really uh, made me excited and committed to this field has been that the surgery really just has very dramatic beneficial effects on diabetes, uh, and if we can replicate that in a less invasive fashion, I think there is a um, tremendous value that we can offer to patients who struggle with really otherwise a chronic disabling disease, which Currently, is the whole treatment algorithm is based on escalating treatment. Like if you add one drug, it works for a little bit. Then the diabetes gets worse. You add a second drug. Diabetes is worse, it's worse. The third drug, it gets worse. You add insulin, and here. You actually have the potential opportunity by giving a drug which puts the disease in remission if you know if we can cause if we can replicate the text of gastric bypass the disease actually goes in remission so actually people can reduce the number of te- medications they take many people can come off the medications completely so it's a very exciting um, uh, potential approach and uh, as someone who's lived with family members with a disease, it's, uh, it's particularly uh, important.
1: Yeah, and without surgery. So that's another great thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly. so okay. Allie, how do people find out more about Lucy and you know, get in contact if they want to know more?
2: Sure. So we have um, uh, our website is AltrexBio, uh, AltrexBio.com, A-L-T-R. Uh, xbio.com uh, and we have a, a website out there. We're actually currently working on it and adding increasing information. We will put our presentations there, uh, and you know we've, we've been giving. We've been asked to give some talks nationally, internationally on the topic, so we will try to summarize all of it and also the progress that the company
1: is making. Excellent. Well, Ali, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been great. Thank you.